you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it to Genesis 1, 2, or 3, whichever one you want to read. Uh, <laughs> we'll have most of our scriptures up on the screen today. So, Jesus, we ask now that we open up to the word, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive that which you would have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when I was in high school, I was in a health class, and we played this game. It was kind of like half health class, half psychology class. And what you do is you'd close your eyes, or I think actually there was like a blindfold or something, something they would put over your eyes, and they'd pull it back, and something would be right in front of you, like an apple or a carrot or a picture of a sunset, whatever. And you had like two seconds to just instantly say how you felt, you know? So they'd, they'd pull it back, and there'd be like, you know, Godzilla or something. You'd go, ah, you know, I feel fear, or, or pull it back, you know, uh, and you know, it'd be apple, you know, oh, I feel hungry, you know, whatever. And so, you know, we, we would always do this to try to show kind of that, you know, that our brain has reflexes as well, just like our elbow does and our knee does. You know, our brain has reflexes as well. And so, you know, one time we were going through that, and one time, I can't believe I did this, but one time my health teacher uh, was a, a, she was just a, a real funny, lovely lady, and she's putting all these pictures in front of me, and then finally I opened my eyes, and her face is right there. And just instant reaction, I grab her and I pull it close. <laughs> and she goes, ah! You know, this game was for you, not for me. And I'm like, I don't know, this is the way I think. But, but it made me go back to the very first time. If you read in Genesis chapter 2, in fact, let's go to that slide right now, second slide. It says in Genesis 2, 7, And the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Few of us could imagine what that moment would be, like waking up out of a sleep, maybe waking up out of a coma, who knows. Just waking up, and you open your eyes, and God is right there. How do we know God is right there? Because what did he breathe into? His what? Nostrils, right? In order to breathe into somebody's nostrils, you get kind of close, don't you? Don't you? I mean, that's, isn't that kind of an intimate thing? You know, I was telling my class the other day, you know, there's only two people that get so close to me, they breathe into my nostrils, right? It's my wife and my kids and sometimes my dog. So, you know, that's, that's close, that's intimacy. The first moment that God had with his creator was close and intimate. So close that God had just breathed into his nostrils. Adam's first, if you could say, Adam, what was the first thing you felt? If you played the peekaboo game, what was the first thing you felt as you opened your eyes and you saw God so close there and in that moment you knew who he was and, and you knew who you were? And I think if Adam had a chance to answer that question, he would say, you know what I saw? You know what I felt, Tom? I felt love. I felt love like you can't imagine. I felt the power of love that can create universes. There was such a love that if you were to ask me, 
what is the greatest attribute of God that I've ever experienced? It was love. I was there at the first breath, surrounded by a close, intimate love by God for these people that he made, by God for these little human beings that he placed on his world called earth to be his representation, to be his image on this little blue-white planet. The problem was, although Adam had experienced a great love from God, God also showed Adam that it wasn't enough. That God was God, Adam was Adam. The two had a similar look, but not a similar being, as God is God and we're people. And so God began to show Adam his need for a human companion. He brings all the animals, and uh, Adam says, you know, it's great to have animals as friends, but it's really, you know, I, I, don't, I really still feel kind of alone here. And God showed him that need. Uh, the first thing that God declares not good about creation is that Adam is all alone. And so once again, God comes close. So close. That now he's not hovering over his nostrils. Now he's right over his rib cage. And in a divine, miraculous way, he extracts a rib, the bone that was set in place to guard Adam's heart. He extracts a rib and then brings to Adam a woman. And the first thing that Eve experiences as she comes alive is love. Adam's love. He creates a love poem for her. If you read it in the original Hebrew, it even semi-rhymes. And there's a play on words, and there's a love poem that Adam writes as God brings to him Eve. What is one of the big things you can extract out of that whole story? That love comes from God, for God is love. It comes from God, and it flows through us toward people. But... It's meant to be so close. True love is like God hovering over the rib. God breathing into the nostril. True love is so close that you take a risk every time you play with it. Every time you operate in it. And God knew the risk he would take to create a human being with free will free choice to love him or to rebel against him. And God's love was so great, he decided to make that human being anyway and give him the one choice that the animals, nobody else had, and that was to obey or not to obey. God risked that so much with Adam and Eve that in order to give them total free will and free choice to love him or to not, he did place one tree, only one tree. It wasn't like there was a whole forest. It wasn't like there was a whole continent, right? The whole world was covered with trees and plants and rivers and waters. If they just took their focus off that one tree, the whole world was filled with what God had for them. But in order for love to truly be love, there had to be one tree, one decision they could make that would go against him. And of course, we all know the story after that, that Adam and Eve made the choice to focus on that one tree 
to rebel against their creator and to be disconnected from the eternal power in which they would have never died before had they not. But now they had introduced a slow, very slow for them, <laughs> death over, over 900 or so years in which they would be cut off from that eternal power from God. Now, here's the interesting things. A couple of things I really see from this story. And the first thing is, when we look at life, it's so easy to see life as physical. But life is not just physical, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. When Jesus was being tempted by the devil in Matthew chapter 4, the devil says, you're hungry? I know that you can just snap your fingers and cause these stones to become bread. Jesus, why don't you do it? Why don't you all show us the kind of power that you got? And what does Jesus say? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. We need to be reminded of that. We don't just live on our paychecks, our 401ks, our boats, our land holdings or whatever. That's not just life. If we are not constantly receiving the fresh word of God, then we too are living that slow death. For we do not live just on food and on things that keep our body comfortable without hunger pains or heart pains. But we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the Bible, Adam is known as the first Adam. Jesus is known as the second Adam. And so for those of you who are into biblical interpretation, Genesis chapter 3 is a parallel to Matthew chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are being tempted by the devil. And they're tempted and they fall into the flesh, right? What are they tempted with? The same thing Jesus was, food. There's a piece off the tree, pull it and eat it. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is being tempted with the same thing. Turn the stone into bread and eat it. The only difference is Adam and Eve weren't just living on the word of God alone. The word of God was very clear. Don't eat this tree. But what does it say? Eve saw that the food was pleasing to the eye, good to be eaten, and good to gain wisdom. And so they took it because they were trying to advance in their own strength and in their own heart and in their own mind. And then in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus recognized, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to prove anything. I only see and do what I hear the Father seeing and doing. I only see and do what the Word of God tells me what to do. And devil, you or nobody else in the world is going to have me perform tricks to satisfy your will. I've surrendered to the will of my father. So the thing I pull out of here is we can think, and I do this a lot, that life just has a physical attribute. That's all, you know, that, that's all in the physical. And, that, and, and, that, and even God just works in the physical. And it's, it's physical, physical, physical. When I think Adam and Eve call us to the harsh reality that life is very much spiritual as well that everything is spiritual that we are not just spiritual sometimes we are always spirits inhabiting a human body so therefore every day we wake up we are making spiritual decisions as we go about our day 
And of course, the power of God is not in performing tricks. The power of God is in his word. If you look at Genesis chapter one, what does it say? And God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be land. And God said, let there be fish. And God said, let there be birds. And God said, God said, what created the whole universe was not God's clap, was not God's punch. It was God speaking And these things came into being. When you look at Jesus, you look at him speaking to the demons and they flee. Speaking to the illnesses and they flee. Because there is power in God's word. And I love, I think I have it up here. Go back to Genesis, uh, third slide here. One more. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, down one more. Down one more. There we go. I love this. God's first conversation with them after they fell. Who told you that you were naked? You know what God's saying? Whose word are you listening to that's not mine? Now, I don't know about you, but I can have a lot of things come into my mind that's not God. Oh, Tom, you're stupid. Oh, Tom, you're silly. Oh, Tom, you're fat and ugly. Oh, Tom, you're old and cranky. Oh, Tom, you're... You're scared and you're fearful. Oh, Tom, you're this and that and then that. And sometimes I believe those words and I begin to act out my life in those words and I begin to go and I say, God, I'm struggling. I'm scared and I'm depressed. And you know what the Lord says? Who told you you were that? I haven't said that that's what you are. I haven't called you stupid. I haven't called you washed up. I haven't called you a has-been. Whose word are you listening to, Tom? Because it sure ain't mine. I have to once again go, God, speak your fresh word over me. And I find that in the pages of the Bible. I don't know how, what this is going to do the American Christian church. But American Christians who regularly read their Bible are at an all-time low. An all-time low. When I casually pull my fellow pastors that I'm in cadres with in the Foursquare Movement, do you, you know, do you have daily Bible reading? I don't want you to lose faith in the Foursquare Movement, but so few of them actually sit down and just read their Bible and get a fresh word. In fact, I'd say more than half of them buy their sermons now. Somebody else went and got a fresh word, and they're just gleaning off the drippings. And so I get very concerned about this because there is life in the word. There is power in the word. And whether it's a book, whether it's an iPad, or whether it's a phone, we don't just live on food. We need this. We need this. And it works in evangelism too. When I go out and I evangelize people, I don't just try to skirt around the Bible. Tell them, hey man, this is the word of God. Let me declare this over you. God says that he loves you. They love the world so much that he gave his only son for you. It's right there in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Yeah, it's right in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Wow, that's great. Hey, this is, I know the plans I have for you. It's right there in Jeremiah. Look at this. 
Man, they're right there on the street. They're like, hey, that's, that is pretty cool. And the only Bible verses I hear is like, you know, the number of the beast is 666. So that's great, man. I love hearing about this. Because there's power in life in the word. One time, I remember uh, I was at a, a college thing. And, uh, and the guy was speaking. And, he said, and, and one of his points was, just get over it. And I was like, yeah, that's a great sermon point. Just get over it. You got to let go of your past. You got to let go of the guilt. You got to let go of the shame. You got to let go of this. And I'm like, I got to let go of all this stuff. You want to know something? I couldn't. <laughs> it's far easier said than done, you know? Oh, I just, I'm trying to let go of it, but I still haven't. I'm bitter. <laughs> I'm trying to let go of it, but I still haven't. I'm ticked, you know? What the preacher never said was this. When you're going to go to let go of something, let go of it with the Word of God, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can help you to let go of the guilt. The Holy Spirit can help you to let go of the shame. The Holy Spirit can help you to let go of the bitterness and the agony and the unforgiveness. And so now, and a lot of times the Holy Spirit is going to do that by using the Word of God in some way in the application. And so this morning, I hope we can come back to the sense that life is not just physical. It's spiritual. It's spiritual, and it's powerful. Number two, love is about closeness. Love is about closeness. If you really think of it, the best place that God always wanted to be with Adam was right here. You know, when God is right here, What do you see in your peripherals? God, right? When you're walking around and God is always here, then everything you see gets filtered through that God filter, right? But the moment we began to distance ourselves from God, what happens? Other things began to come into view. Other things began to come into perspective. And when God is as far away as that wall, all of a sudden there's hundreds and thousands of things that are getting in the way. You ever hear someone say, man, I just can't figure out what God wants for my life. I can't figure out what God wants me to do. I can't figure out God's will in a situation. Why? Because God has been pushed so far back that the perspective is being clouded by all the other what ifs. By all the other, uh, what do they call that? Um, You know, hypothetical options and solutions. And what does God say? I love you. Bring me close again. Bring me so close that it's like when I was breathing into Adam's nostrils. In that first moment, all he saw was me and all he needed was me. And I think if God could say it, he'd say it right now. Listen, my son. Listen, my daughter. All you need to see is me And all you need is me. I am big enough to supply all your needs. That's all that Adam saw in the beginning. It wasn't until the enemy came in and made that perspective more distant and made that focus on that one tree come into play that danger began to lurk. I don't know about you, but I can kind of do that. 
I can focus on the one tree I'm not supposed to focus on when I've got the thousands around me. I can focus on the one memory of pain. I can focus on the one thing that happened in my past. I can focus on the one sentence somebody said that cut me to the core. I can focus on the one thing maybe my mother or father or brother or a family member did that just cut me to the core. I can remember the one thing my wife may have said or my kids or the one time where I was sleeping on the streets. I can remember that one thing and I just get so hung up on it. Staring at that one thing. That one tree. And God is saying, don't stare at that tree. Stare at me. Take your eyes off the one and see the thousands of different ways I have blessed you and want to love you. Love is close. And then finally, number three, without God, we are just dust. If you... uh, if you go to this scripture here, it's a ominous one, but it says here, cursed is the ground because of you. This is after they ate the forbidden fruit. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are and dust you will return. It is the Holy Spirit filling us that makes us more than dust. But without the Holy Spirit filling us, we are just dust. One time I was, when I was a youth pastor many years ago, I, I had met with a kid who, wanted, who was struggling with suicide and wanted to take his own life. He really did. And in the meeting, he convinced me he was truly suicidal. And I remember he said, you know what, Tom? I'm just one person on a planet of nine billion. Who's going to miss me? Who's going to care? What's the big deal? I thought about that for a moment because I've never, never thought about that. And I said, you know what? Look at me. The world of nine billion people doesn't exist. What? What? No. I said, no, think about it. For you, you will never see 9 billion people. Your life will never come across 9 billion people. Your world, your existence, your perspective will never encompass 9 billion people. It's impossible in our limitations, and God knows that. But God has placed you in a world of a few friends, family, a world of hundreds, maybe thousands of people that you could bless and affect in a most positive way. But yeah, when you think I am one of nine billion, I can, you can think I'm just a particle of dust. What does my contribution really matter? And God says, you know what? That one particle of dust placed where I placed it can be one of the most powerful particles of dust if you allow my love to work through you, to not stare at that one tree, to know that life is spiritual, that my love is close, and that if you ever want to be more than the dust you're created in, 
let me fill you with my spirit. And I promise you, I'll be the best friend you ever had. I'll take you places you could never dream. I'll fill words in your heart that are way beyond your intelligence. I'll give you moments of grace that will bring you to tears. And then the last slide. I was thinking about this. In Genesis 3.15, God closes the, uh, the conversation with Mary with a very interesting verse. He says, he, Mary's offspring, Je uh, I'm sorry, I'm saying Mary, Eve. Uh, he, Eve's offspring, Jesus, will crush your head, Satan, and you will strike his heel. I thought about that. You know, it's amazing. From the very beginning, God placed that plan of redemption into the Bible. And then I began to realize, you know what? Theologically, God is outside of time. Uh, God knows, God isn't the cause of everything that's going to happen, but he has a knowledge and awareness of all that's going to happen. So imagine he's creating people and he has a knowledge that those people are going to test their limits, they're going to rebel, and they're going to fall when Satan tempts them. And now God knows the only way to redeem them is that he would personally have to go down and suffer a horrific execution to save them. If I were God, I'd have taken one thought of that and never made us. <laughs> so I'm going to make these people, and then i got to die for these people, just so I can get these people back. Hmm, maybe people aren't worth it. <laughs> but God still did it. God breathed that breath of life into Adam, fully knowing that one day he'd have to hang on the cross for that same Adam. That's love. Not just that God was close, but he knew what he was getting into the moment he made us. He didn't flinch. He didn't stop. That's the God of love. Long before anything ever happened in your life, God knew it would happen. Long before the pain, long before the loss, long before the joy, long before the blessing, long before the struggle, long before the doubts, long before the fights, long before the words that can't be taken back, long before loved ones were lost to death that ripped the peace out of our soul that we're still trying to get back. God knew that would happen. And he says, I still want to be right here. I know what that's like. I died. I suffered that. I know what that's like. Let me. Don't push me away. Let me be right here in front of you and in the peripherals. And I promise you, not only will the food keep you alive, but my word will actually give you life. Heavenly Father, this morning, I pray that we would be reminded that we were created for love. We were created by love, by your love. We were created for your love. We were created in your love. And this morning, Lord, I pray that we would all put ourselves in that peekaboo game with Adam and know that you are right there breathing life into our nostrils. 
Lord, that you are real. May we know that we know that we know you are real beyond the shadow of a doubt. And that you are good, that you are loving, that you are trustworthy. Lord, may we, when the times of trouble come, rise up and say, I am so excited. I can't wait to see how my God of love is going to see me through this one. 